This is WNWFM in New York. I have the extremely sad task of informing you that John Lennon died tonight. He was um, shot and uh, fatally wounded in front of his um, home at the Dakota. The date, December 8th, 1980, might as well be December 7th, 1941 for fans of the Beatles. The music stopped for John Lennon, where he was murdered outside his Central Park home by a deranged fan. I'm Jerry Barmash, and this is Hear Now the News. Alan Weiss, as it would happen, was feet away from Lennon when medical personnel feverishly worked to save the iconic musician. Happenstance would link Weiss and the dramatic breaking news to a large audience that Monday night. You have a unique perspective because you were at the hospital uh, the night that that night that Monday night when John Lennon was, if not killed at that point, but was close to death, and you learned about it first, and because of your connection to television, you were able to get it to to air. But uh, there there's a story here. Yeah, it really is incredible when you think about it because it's just an amazing event. First of all, to wrap your arms around, and then secondarily to be so close to it, to be personally so close to it. Um, even after 40 years, it still gives me chills. How did you wind up in the hospital? Just as a little background for, uh, for viewers and listeners. I had a date that night and I had to go to an ATM and take some money out and I had a motorcycle. And the reason why the ATM is relevant is I was only going across Central Park and normally you'd strap your helmet and I didn't. So I put it on my head, I hadn't strapped it. So I'm in Central Park, and it's about 10 o'clock at night, so it's really dark. And there are these three lanes that go out of the, of the park drive, and one lane, the outer lane, that goes straight. So I'm in one of the three lanes to go on the out to leave. There's a taxi on my inside. He has to go out and decides at the last minute he doesn't want to. Stamps on his accelerator, tries to beat me and get in front of me, but doesn't make it. And I crash into him, fly over my handlebars, smash into his windshield, and hit the ground at 30, 35 miles an hour. Fortunately, my helmet took the first impact, but because I hadn't strapped it, my helmet got ripped off, and I'm banging my head on the tarmac as I finally come to, a, to, a, to rest. So there I am, lying in the middle of the road, 10 o'clock at night, approximately, in Central Park, and I can't move. I, I see all these cars now coming around behind me, and I'm right in their way, and I try to, to get up, and I can't. My whole right side is frozen. So I literally crawled off of the road, and now I'm lying in the dirt and the grass of Central Park. Say what you will about New Yorkers. Here it is, pitch black, nighttime Central Park, and people from all over came over, sat with me, spoke with me, kept me calm. The cops are terrific. The EMTs are great. When they went to pick me up, I winced so badly. They said, all right, you know what? We're going to take the stretcher apart and we'll scoop it underneath you. So they scooped underneath me and took an awful lot of Central Park along with it. I'm in the ambulance. They take me to the hospital, which is St. Luke's Roosevelt. And I remember one EMT said to me, you are so lucky. It's a Monday night. If this was a weekend with all the shootings and, and all the other things that go on in the city, in, the, in that part of town, you'd be waiting for hours to be treated but it's empty right now. And the doctor in charge, the uh, lady doctor in charge is really a love. You'll like her very much. She's very, very good what she does. So 
I get to the hospital, they put me on a gurney, I'm in the hallway in the ER. The lady doctor, whose name I do not remember, came over to me and was talking to me and she looked at me and she says, she sees the twigs and the leaves. She says, I don't know if I should be treating you or planting you, which I thought was pretty cute actually. Um, and she says, you know, we, we need to take you in for, for x-rays. I said, okay, I understand. And at that moment, the door behind me. So I'm lying right now, the entrance to the ER is at the hallway behind my head. And the doctor's like right here on my left side. And the door slams open and a man runs in yelling, we've got a gunshot, gunshot in the chest. The quiet midweek at the hospital was soon anything but as a gurney arrived accompanied by police just steps from where Weiss was being treated. Two police officers come out and they are literally standing over my gurney. And one says to the other one, can you believe it? John Lennon. Wow. I opened my eyes and I looked up and I said, excuse me, officer, what did you say? And he looks at me and I look like something that, you know, the cat just dragged in. I've got, you know, dirt and leaves and twigs all over me. I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm in black uh, leather jacket and black jeans. So he's not going to spend any time speaking to me. And he goes, I didn't say anything. And they walk away. Well, Jerry, you know, who's, could it have been John Lennon? Could it have been Jack Lemon? Could it have been some other name that's, that's, you know, somebody I never even heard of? You're in the hospital. I mean, maybe you were just a little out of it. Could you have heard it incorrectly at all? I was worried about how hard I, I banged my head. Right. We hadn't, ruled out, we hadn't ruled out concussion. You know, again, didn't have the safety of the, of the helmet as fully as I should have. I already have a altered state as far as headache and ears ringing. Not to mention the incredible shock of hearing these words. And if, again, it wasn't like the officer came up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I want to tell you that John Lennon has been shot. It's, they're talking amongst themselves. So I'm overhearing it. So play all those things together. And of course, you doubt it. Despite convalescing, he didn't want to miss out on what had the potential to be the biggest story of his career. So the enterprising producer met a friendly custodian with broom in hand. I said, I work for Eyewitness News. Really? I said, yes, I do. Could you do me a favor? Here's my business card. Here's $20. Call the number in the card. Whoever answers the phone, just say, Alan's in the hospital and he thinks John Lennon may have been shot. Can you do that for me? No problema. I said, gracias, amigo. He disappears. I close my eyes. Say to myself, I did my job. That's what a journalist does. I did the best I could to get the information out. But Weiss still had no confirmation that the victim was the John Lennon until another dramatic clue presented itself within earshot of him. So I'm lying there and I hear sobbing. And it's coming again from the entrance to the, the ER hallway behind me. And so again, I twist around and I see an Asian woman in a mink coat upside down to my perspective. And look, I knew who Yoko Ono was and I had a pretty good idea what she looked like, but I wasn't so positive, so positive between the distance, the angle, again, the confusion that I was still somewhat fighting through, although I think I was laser focused. Um, so I wasn't positive, but I was pretty damn sure that that was Yoko Ono, but, but still not positive. But now I knew I had to get to a telephone. So close, but a burly security guard would halt him from making a call. 
Weiss even said he'd discharge himself to use the phone, a request that also was refused. Again, fate intervened at precisely the time that it needed to intervene. One of the officers that had brought me into the hospital had gone to file a report or whatever at the other end of the hallway, comes out wherever he was, and he sees this, this trail of twigs and leaves that lead the way from the gurney I was on to me standing up with this gargantuan guy holding onto my arm. And he comes running up to me and says, Mr. Weiss, Mr. Weiss, we had to take the stretcher apart to bring you in. What are you doing standing up? And I said to him, well, don't you know? And he said, don't I, don't I know what? I said, well, haven't you heard? He goes, haven't I heard what? And Jerry, you've probably also come across this in, in journalism, but we're taught that, and you learn from like, you know, spycraft, that people have tells when they're lying. Their eyes shift, they look off to the side. So I looked really intently into his eyes and I said, John Lennon's been shot. And he looked at me and he said, Alan, who told you that? I said, well, no one told me but I think I heard two officers talking about it. And he indicated his microphone that was attached over here. He said, Alan, if John Lennon had been shot, it would be on my radio. I'd know all about it. I said, so he's not been shot? He says, no, he's not been shot. Would you please come back and lie down on the gurney? He unhinged. He literally has to pry the fingers off the, of this guy, <laughs> off of me. This guy was like, yeah. And so he starts to bring me back. And I don't know what made me do this because I really am a relatively shy person. And I actually felt like an absolute jerk. Here I am standing up, making noise, making a commotion. Someone, they're fighting somebody's life possibly down at the end of the hall. And I'm not grandstanding, but, but I'm, I'm trying to find out if the incredible is really true and probably isn't. And I felt really like I want to just find a hole to crawl in and just, just disappear. But something inside of me, and I'm going to say that one of my professors at Northwestern, his you know, ears should be tingling right now. As the officer helped me back to my bed, we passed a nursing stand. And I said, sir, can I just use the phone to make a phone call? And he leaned over. He knew the code for being able to dial out. He dialed the code, handed me the phone. Upon speaking to the newsroom at WABC-TV, Weiss finally had his confirmation. I spoke with the assignment editor who had heard that I had the accident. He said, hey, I hear you had an accident. Are you okay? He said, yes. Look, I know I banged my head. I think John Lennon may have been shot. And the assignment editor says, I heard a call for an ambulance to respond to 72nd Street and Central Park West. And that's where the Dakota is. So I'm rolling a crew over there just to check it out. I said, all right, that's it. That's the third piece of the puzzle. I've heard the name John Lennon. I've seen an Asian woman, I'm pretty sure it's Yoko Ono, and now you're telling me you heard a call for an ambulance at 72nd Central Park West? It is John Lennon. He's shot. He's here at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital. Divert the crew. Bring them over here. So I hang up the phone. The officer looks at me and says, I can't believe it. It hasn't been on the radio yet. I said, well, yeah, they're keeping radio silence for some reason. The hobbled Weiss was able to sit back in his bed, satisfied that he had done enough to get coverage of the fluid story. That's until he overheard crying. So the officer led me to, to, the, to the gurney, and I'm sitting on the edge of the gurney, and I'm able to literally look into the room where they're working on, on Lennon. It's a sight I will never forget. Um, they've taken off all his clothes. His feet are facing me. His head is away from me. He's surrounded 
by a semicircle of, of a medical staff and there's blood everywhere and Lennon's chest is open and a doctor has his hands inside the chest and I can see that he's, I can't see the heart, but I can see the, the pumping motion that he's doing. And I, you know, from having been a journalist, I, I realized that he was trying to keep the heart moving, uh, keep the blood in circulation. Um, so I watched that for a few minutes and then, I don't know, five security guards came flying in from five different directions and they said, lay down. I said, no, I'm quite happy sitting here. Lay down. And they wheeled me out of the ER and they put me right in the first room on the other side. So behind me was the entrance. In this direction is the exit uh, into the main hospital. They put me there and there was a room right on the other side of the doors. So now I'm lying inside this room. I know he's been shot, but I don't know anything other than the fact that he's been shot. Um, I did hear gunshot in the chest, but didn't know how much that was true or not. Um, and you're not going to believe this, Jerry, but at about 20 after um, the hour, in the hospital, not in the, not in the ER, but in the hospital, they play Muzak. And about 20 minutes after the hour, the song All My Lovin' plays on the music. Song ends, and a minute or two later, a woman's voice screams, no, no, oh no, oh no. And well, I didn't see that it was Yoko Ono. I was pretty sure it was Yoko Ono who did that scream. And the door opens up right next to me, and there comes out Yoko Ono, on the arms of David Geffen, record producer David Geffen. And he's escorting her right past my, my, uh, my room. Obviously, she wanted to get home to her son. I learned later, did not know at the time. Now the plucky producer had to find out about Lennon's condition. The lady doctor who first saw me when I arrived now comes into my room. And she says, all right, Adam, sorry for the delay. Let's now, you know, continue examining you. I said, whoa, whoa, doc, hold on a second. What's the story with, with John Lennon? And she said, there's going to be a press conference in about half hour, 40 minutes. I said, fine. What's the story with John Lennon? She says, I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed, there's a news blackout until then. I, I can't share any information. I said, doctor, is he alive? Is he, is he, is he, is he dead? Is he a vegetable? I mean, just give me something. And she said, I can't, I, I can't tell you anything. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. If a person were brought into the hospital with gunshots to their chest 10, 15 minutes ago, and you were working on, with the team on that, if the person was still alive, would you not be still required to be working on that patient? And she says, that's a correct assumption. So now... I knew he was dead. So I said, Doc, I got to make a phone call. I just, I just need to make that, that phone call over there from that phone. Could you please give me the code? And she said, Alan, I can't. I, I, it, first of all, it's breaking the rules of the hospital. 
Um, second of all, we can't let you get off the bed because you could do tremendous damage to yourself. We don't know the extent of your injuries. And third, if you fall or get hurt in any other way, I could be sued. I can lose my license and the hospital could be sued. So no, I cannot give you that code. I'm sorry. And I said to her, did you always want to be a doctor? She said, yes. Why? I said, did you always want to be a good doctor? And she said, yes. Why? I said, well, I always wanted to be a good journalist. Just as, just, just as you would not pass up a situation where you could do your job to the best of your ability, I can't pass up a situation to do my job to the best of my ability. I need to make a phone call. And she looked at me and said, good try, but that's not going to work on me. However, I am going to go check and see if the x-ray room is ready for you. So I'm going to leave and I'll be back in about 10 minutes. And I'm not going to tell you that the code to that phone is 117. So you're not going to leave this bed. And when I come back, you're going to be here on this bed. When I come back, right? She says, yep, I'll be on this bed when you come back, doctor. She left. I got up, wiggled my way over to the phone, dialed in the number, called Eyewitness News, told them that I had confirmation that John Lennon was dead. And then they patched me through to ABC Network Radio. Eyewitness News wasn't on the air yet um, because it was Monday Night Football. Um, and What time would this have been? You know, I'm trying to remember. Um, I, I, I guess this is like about 11.25, 11.30 is my guess, if I have the timeline correct. Because I don't think Cosell announced it until like 11.50 or something. So I did an interview with, with ABC Radio and uh, told them what I just told you, confirming that the doctor um, did say that, that John Lennon had has yeah is dead and that is uh that incredible experience that night weiss isn't a hundred percent certain his scoop made abc news the first outlet to announce lennon's death what i understand is that when i first called the newsroom very very close to um to 11 o'clock um that and i spoke to the assignment editor that assignment editor called abc network news and said the producer of the six o'clock eyewitness news was in the hospital as reporting that John Lennon was shot. When I then spoke with ABC radio, which is probably close to 20 of 12, I only said that he was shot. I didn't know how many times he was shot. When Howard Cosell reported the story in the last few seconds of the game, which he didn't want to do, Frank Gifford had to talk him into it. Cosell thought it was inappropriate to report on, on such a tragedy in the middle of a sporting event. Fellas, I just don't know. I'd like your opinion. I, I can't see this game situation allowing for that news flash. Can you? Absolutely, I can see it. You, you can? You betcha. Right? You've got, we've got right. to. If we know it, we've got to do it. All right. I don't want to hang on. It's a tragic moment. And, this is going to shake up the whole world. All right, I will get it in. And Gifford said, "No, this is this is not just a tragedy. This is this is important news, and you know we have a responsibility to relay it." And so Cosell, grudgingly, I guess, uh, agreed, um, and and did report it. But when he reported, he said that John Lennon had been shot. I think he gave an erroneous number. I can't remember if he said five times or four times. Ultimately, what the actual truth was is that 
Mark David Chapman fired five times, one bullet missed, four bullets hit Lennon. But since I didn't have that information, clearly Cosell, whoever fed Cosell that info, had more information than just my phone call or phone calls to ABC. So I'm sure that once I called the assignment editor at Channel 7, then the process, you know, the wheels began to turn, people began to make phone calls, and maybe they got a nurse or somebody. At Iowa's News, we're always getting people calling us saying, hey, I got a tip for you. I'm working in so-and-so hospital, and you know, you'll never believe who just came in. So, so what, the, way I, the way I see most people handling it is that the, the majority of people heard about the news of John Lennon shooting from Howard Cosell during Monday Night Football. Um, and in some way I, I contributed to that, but no, I cannot tell you with certainty, um, that, you know, ABC was the, the, indeed the first, um, person or the first organization to release the news. You mentioned about Gifford had to, we've, I've heard the audio when they were in a commercial break before they went on. And as you said, he wasn't going to do it. And, and Gifford was saying you had to, and I guess there was no network news person that was available and that they were right there. And so they did it. I'm assuming you think that they had to do it and, and that was the right call. And do you like the way that it was handled by Cosell? Three seconds remaining. John Smith is on the line. And I don't care what's on the line, Howard. You have got to say what we know in the booth. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. An unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City. John Lennon outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City. The most famous, perhaps, of all of the Beatles. Shot twice in the back. Rushed to Roosevelt Hospital, dead on arrival. Hard to go back to the game after that news flash. I, th I think it was Rune Arledge, but I'm not positive, who made the call, who made the judgment call that, yes, this is news, and yes, it should be delivered during uh, Monday Night Football, we shouldn't sit on it. Um, so breaking in, not breaking in, but saying it, yes, they should have done it. Should they have done it in a different way? Should they have done it in the more traditional sense of interrupting the football game, bringing up the slide, breaking news from ABC Network News, bringing in a newscaster, because they have these newscasters, you know, they have these cameras that are always ready to go. You don't need a control room. Um, just the AD, the AD that's already rolling the commercials for the network is capable of, of going to that camera. So they could have had somebody from the official news department deliver that information. Um, I think that they were going for immediacy, and I think they would, as a journalist, you want it to be. As long as you're, you're being quick and accurate. If you're being quick and inaccurate, then no, immediacy is, is, is not what you want. Um, we, don't, we don't need to spread false information any faster than, than it normally goes. Um, so, yes, I agree that they should announce it. I think Howard Cosell handled it extremely well. You have to understand about Cosell, because he used to be a, a newscaster on my station, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. He was, he was a sportscaster, I should say, not newscaster. Right. Um, and while I never worked with him, I heard stories about him, that he was legendary, that he would go to the producer and say, how much do you want tonight? And the producer would say, I want three and a half minutes. He goes, all right. And he'd go out and he'd sit on the set and without a stopwatch and without a script, but just some notes, the man spoke for three and a half minutes. He was incredible, absolutely incredible. And I thought the way he handled it was with, with taste, 
remember, this is a football game. It's just a football game. I mean, I, I thought he handled it very well. I'm surprised that he was resistant to it, but I thought that when he delivered it, I think in, within the the milieu that he was operating in, a sporting event, people down to the wire, overtime, a lot of, you know, anxiety over a football game to suddenly do a head switch to a murder, a senseless murder of, of an, a cultural icon. And by the way, he, Lennon was with Cosell at halftime a few years earlier at a game. Now I've got a most familiar figure and face for all of you across the country here with me now of the original Beatles. Mr. John Lennon. Hello, John, nice to see you, John. Nice Want to move you. that up just a little yeah. closer? How are you? What's been your view of this American professional football scene? It's an amazing event and sight. It makes rock concerts look like tea parties. But I must say, the first thing I heard when I got in was I'm playing a Beatles tune yesterday, which cheered me up no end. <laughs> yes, uh, Lennon and Cosell at Cross Pass. I mean, Lennon, one of the great things about John Lennon, and we're not going to see it again ever, possibly is that he didn't hide behind a phalanx of bodyguards and, um, and smoke glass windows. You understand that the Dakota is a unique building. It is not just a solid building. It is a rectangular structure, and it has an inner courtyard. And the reason why that's important is that Lenin could have had his cars limousines, whatever they were, drive into the courtyard through a gate, which then would close behind him. And he had, could have access into his car and egress from his car away from all prying eyes. He didn't do that. He would have the car wait at the curb on 72nd Street, and he would walk the 10, 15, 20 feet from the gate to the vehicle. And he did it because he knew that people would line up for hours on the hope of getting a glimpse, a photograph, and maybe even a signature. And of course, ironically, there is that incredible photograph of Chapman um, getting an autograph album from John Lennon the same day. Right. Earlier in the evening or earlier in the day. Yeah, that's right. Then he came back. I, I want to thank you for reliving these, uh, these memories, horrible as they are. I, I do it. As, as a, it's, it's new, still incredible. I mean, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, um, I can't think of anybody else, even President Kennedy, you know, 40 years after the assassination, does not um, create, does not receive the amount of news um, focus that John Lennon's murder has. So it's an incredible story. It touches us in so many different ways. So I feel a moral obligation to, to share that. And I also feel an obligation, and more so today in this political climate, to show what journalists do, that, that journalism is something that's not just, you know, making things up, you know, sitting someplace in a dark room and just creating facts out of whole cloth. It's being on the scene. It's asking questions. It's ascertaining facts. It's not reporting wrong information. I never said he was dead in that first phone call. I simply said he was shot. It wasn't until the doctor gave me the confirmation that I would say the words, you know, John Lennon was dead. So I, I hope that that, anybody who's a budding journalist or wants to become a journalist, I hope that's a wind in their back. And I hope it just shows the rest of the people that are doubting the veracity of news that journalism is a profession 
that really serves an important pur- purpose. There is more of my interview with Alan Weiss. It's available if you become a member of my Patreon page, and in turn, you'll be helping my podcast grow. You'll find premium content from this and other episodes. Patreon.com forward slash hear now the news. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do Nothing to kill or die for No religion to Imagine all the people Living In August, Mark David Chapman was denied parole for an 11th time. He'll have another opportunity to make the case for release in two years at a correctional facility near Buffalo. He was sentenced to 20 years to life. Lennon would have been 80 two months ago. Next time, as President Trump still fights his election loss despite baseless claims, I'll talk to a leading psychiatrist who joined many other mental health professionals to explore the mind of Trump. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share this episode with a friend. You can send a comment or a story suggestion to me on Twitter at Jerry Barmash, email hearnowthenewsjb at gmail.com, or find me on my Hear Now the News Facebook page. Thanks for listening.